just uh, happier busy than idle. It's a blessing. All right, you got the skit crews going out? Okay. We hit the panic stage yet, or we still? Okay, good. (laughs) Good. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13 this evening. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. All the Bible is the Word of God. All the Bible is, is good, great, but there are outstanding verses in the book of books. This one is among them. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Apparently, nobody else is. See, temptation's taken you, but God, He's faithful. So, there's an expectation going into this thing that I'm going to need God, not me. He's faithful. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. There's a semicolon there. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Father, help us tonight to view sin as a hurtful thing, and to view the way of escape as a blessed thing, and to learn what we are able to learn by your grace from this passage at hand. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, for our purposes, let's let's break this verse into the eight truths that it contains. Number one, temptation takes hold on each of us. No matter how long you've been saved, no matter how dedicated you are to the Lord, no matter how much you know about the Bible, temptation takes hold on each of us. Number two, being tempted... And the nature of temptation is not unique. It is one of those things we all have in common. Nobody can say to the other person, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. What, look, we may not know what one another going through with regard to, to suffering or pain or physical circumstances or financial matters. Every one of us knows what every one of us is going through when it comes to temptation. We have that, we have it in common. Number three, God alone is true. Some point or another, I will, I will be less than faithful. At some point or another, you will be less than full of faith, but God is faithful. He's, he's always, he's always victorious. All right, number four, God does not permit us to face a sin we cannot refuse. That's what he said. There's there's nothing overwhelming. Every sin is surrender. Every sin is voluntary. Number five, therefore, when we do refuse, it was a choice on our part. That's discouraging. I want I want half of my sins to be the devil's fault and and forty percent to be the world's fault and ten percent I just messed up, but it's It's not that way. 
Number six, with every temptation is a way of escape. Hallelujah. Number seven, there, this way of escape is only available at the time the temptation takes hold. It's not available later, it's available with the temptation. And number eight, we are able to bear whatever God allows to be set before us. Okay, so first the bad news. We will all be tempted. Second, the good news. It will not be more than we can take. Third, more bad news. This means that whenever we sin, we did not have to, but chose to. But then there's more good news. There's always a way out if we desire to take it. So let's begin. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Temptation is defined as an enticement by evil arguments, by flattery, or by the offer of some real or apparent good. What's temptation? The the sin is not temptation. Temptation is the invitation to sin. It's the presentation to do something displeasing to the Lord. And if I could believe the Bible, to do something hurtful to myself. Because if the Lord says don't do it, the doing of that thing will be hurtful to me. If the Lord says do it, the the failure to do so will be hurtful to me. That's where unbelief is such such a damaging thing. I don't believe God, so I don't view the temptation as being an evil thing. Consider the way in which Adam fell. The serpent enticed the woman. He argued that the forbidden fruit would be desirable. He then flattered her, convincing her she deserved what was being withheld from her. He then suggested she could become as God's. So every step in that process follows and fits the definition of temptation. Temptation is also said to be solicitation of the passions, enticements to evil proceeding from the prospect of pleasure or advantage. Come on, the opportunity to break your neck is not a temptation, but the opportunity to jump off the roof on a skateboard, onto the, the handrail of the stairs, with your friend videotaping you, that's a temptation. So Satan doesn't offer you ruin, he offers you pleasure. He doesn't offer you destruction, he offers you a thrill. That, that drunk driver that's um, in the intensive care in Winston-Salem that hit that Christian couple head-on Friday night on their way home from church. The bartender didn't offer him broken bones. His drinking buddies didn't say, hey, let's go out tonight and smash two people's uh, bodies to bits. What they offered him was, let's go out and have some fun. Let's go out and have a good time. See, that's, that's the temptation. Now think of the serpent's appeals to Christ in the wilderness. The devil showed Jesus the kingdoms to be acquired. 
He offered food to a hungry man. He suggested a way to gain the adoration of men. Bread for a fasting man. Power for a lowly man. A claim for a despised man. Those are all things that are very appealing. The only catch is, you got to go against the Word of God. Now, if we don't rightly value the Word of God, temptation is impossible to refuse. If we value the Word of God, now at least we're on battleground. Now, in the case of the first Adam and that of the last Adam, the payment required to attain the thing offered in the temptation was to submit to the rule of the devil. And what I've got to believe in my life, what you have to believe in your life, is that's the true nature of every temptation. It's not an opportunity for me to sin. It's an opportunity for me to say to God, if I could get away with it, I'd pick Satan. Given a choice, I prefer the life he offers to the life you offer. That's why Satan wants me to sin. Look, I'm going to live a few short years and I'm gone. I'm a speck of dust upon the earth with, with, with no influence whatsoever on how, how anything goes. The devil has no interest in me. He just delights in being able to say to God, after all you've done for them, they'd pick me every time. That's what he wants. He just, he just wants to, 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 to cast it into the face of the Lord that nobody really loves God. And the only reason they serve him is because they're afraid not to and, and so forth. That's, that's the devil's work. Okay. Next phrase is, there is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. So obviously no one will live without being tempted. Even the Lord Jesus was tempted. Thus temptation is not a sin. It is not a sin to be tempted. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So the circumstance of being tempted is not sin. We are also made to understand that sin's allure will not be packaged a thousand different ways, but will be set forth in, in common, ordinary, predictable ways. We give ourselves too much credit. Satan doesn't have to think up new temptations. The same five or six continue to work on everybody in every, every race, every culture for all time. You don't have to have a Bible for China and a Bible for Scandinavia and a Bible for the United States because the sins they commit over there are the sins we commit over here. And you don't have to have a new modern updated Bible to add the new sins that the devil's come up with since the Bible was written because there aren't any. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, not of the Father but is of the world. That's it. Doesn't need anything else, because those three work every time. The idea that the world of the devil is going to cook up some special sort of enticement for each individual gives man far too much credit. The same old tricks that have worked in every life since the human race started work now. Appreciate the Monday night class, the holy women class. You know what it is? It's just different looks at the Garden of Eden. 
God gave the woman joy, happiness, peace, contentment. The devil said, well, you don't want to do it God's way. You'd be much happier doing it my way. Well, what's he offered any woman since then? Nothing but that. It's the same every time. To the man. Well, you know. (laughs) Wouldn't you like to ascend? Wouldn't you like to sit on the throne? Wouldn't things be better if you were running the show? That's what brought the devil down. He knows it works. It worked on him. Worked on every man's sense. These temptations are common. The flesh still wages war against the spirit. It still desires anything be displeasing to the Lord, hurtful to the man. The eyes seem unable to focus on all the blessings bestowed and constantly scan the horizon for some new folly. Come on, remember that Nathan came into David and said, God gave you this and this and this and this and and such and such things. Why are you looking over there? Why do any of us look over there? Wherever over there is. How, how is it that with all God's given us, our eyes are still lusting? With all that God has blessed us with, our flesh is still longing. Oh, to be satisfied with God. The most useless individual is beset with pride. You, you can't find somebody so low down, so impoverished, so criminal, so addicted, so illiterate, who isn't stuck on himself. It's a, look, God said all you have to do to be saved is put all your trust in Jesus Christ, repenting of any hope of saving yourself. And you'd think... That'd be the easiest way of salvation on the face of the earth, and it turns out to be the hardest. Because everybody is not an idolater, and everybody is not an adulterer, but you find somebody who's not stuck on himself. It's amazing, isn't it? And so that's the old devil. All he's got to do is just pump that pride just a little bit. Those who've accomplished nothing in life take offense when they're told they need Jesus. They get angry with you in the rescue mission when you tell them Jesus Christ could give you a better life. What are you saying? I'll have a good life? Oh, you tell me. The guy's sitting in the prison house, and all he can talk about is, I was set up, I was framed, everybody's out to get me, I got a bad rap, it's because of the color of my skin. Wouldn't you, you say, boy, I'll tell you, if if somebody ever hit the bottom, they'd sure turn to the Lord. Nobody ever senses they're anywhere near the bottom. (laughs) It's incredible. No matter how evident it may be to someone that they are in dire straits, their inward thought is somehow, some way, I deserve more respect than I'm getting. I deserve more recognition than has come my way. I deserve more money. I deserve better benefits. Why? Flesh, eyes, pride. 
ever-present foes. Not only does temptation come in common forms, but it comes in common to each of us. The first man and woman in the garden of good, the Lord of glory in the wilderness, were tried in the same way. It doesn't matter where you are. Well, it's my circumstances. Christ in a desert place with no food, that's the last Adam. The first Adam in a garden with food everywhere. Temptation going to find you. Well, if I could just move to a different location, if I could just get a different job, if I just, just had better surroundings, if, if I just... It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you are. The boy and the old man, the rich and the poor, everyone you see is tempted. We will not escape this reality until we're present with the Lord. We've got to accept the fact that temptation is a part of our daily life. It couldn't have been Adam's environment. It couldn't have been the neighbors. Well, you know, if I just keep my kids away from this and keep my kids away from that, don't let my kids go here and don't let my kids see that. You mean like Cain and Abel? You can't blame Cain on the kids he was hanging out with. There weren't any. You can't blame the school system for Cain. There wasn't one. Cain wasn't watching TV, as far as we know. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? Abel's tempted, Cain is tempted. They are tempted by the devil. Doesn't matter what your environment is. Doesn't matter who you surround yourself with or don't surround yourself with. Temptation present. All right, now, the next phrase there, God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. There's a lot of mythology and falsehood in our pulpits and commentaries. You know that. One of the most oft-repeated untruths goes something like this. God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, that isn't true. Paul was pressed out of measure and so much he despaired even of life. Or, or it goes like this. Uh, the Lord will never put anything on you. It's too much for you to bear. But that's, that's not what it says. Think about some of these, these great Bible sayings. All things work together for good. Wasn't that in the Bible? Well, no, not really. The Bible says all things work together for good to them that love God. You don't love God, everything isn't going to work out for your good. You're going to end up in hell. (laughs) The truth shall make you free. Well, that's pretty good. You can probably start a whole civil rights movement on that. But the verse says, if you continue in my word, then you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Uh, How about this one? Um, The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds. That's nice. Just left out the part about submitting everything to God in prayer and supplication. You could go on like that for an hour. People just read something on a wall plaque or a a, a pretty email background and they think it's, it's the Bible. If it's out of context or half a verse or the part people don't like chopped off of it, you're just going to get yourself in trouble. Now, now look at this one here. The idea of misreading this verse 
so that if anything ever ha- or anything that ever happens in my life is something I can manage with a little help from the good Lord, <laughs> that isn't what it says. What the verse says is, if you take the way of escape, this temptation is manageable. If you don't take the way of escape, all bets are off. Now, we've learned enough through the course of this study to know that if we reject the way of escape, lust will bring forth sin and sin will bring forth death. So the good news here is we have a promise from the Holy Spirit that with every temptation comes an instantaneous way of victory. We may escape not just the lure, but all the subsequent damage if we will take that way of escape. Back in the old days when we'd go traveling as a family, my mother would sit with a thing most of you probably never seen. It started out about this big, and you open it up, and then you open it again and again and again, and, and, and it was a map. It was, it, was, it was a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper were roads and exits, and, and, and you won't believe this, but... This is, this is way back in, in time. My father would be driving, and this female voice in the car would say, in half a mile, turn right on Highway 21. Only it was a real human being. It was my mother reading a map. Now, now we have um, MapQuest and... And GPS machines and talking dashboards and, and telephones that'll tell you where you're going and where to turn and, and soon it'll be in your watch. And if you, if you, if the Lord doesn't come in the next 15 years, I'll just plant that thing right in your forehead. You can live in the cloud. Man, you laugh about that. If, if, come on, if somebody stood up here, we moved in this building in 1995. If, if, I had, if I had stood up here in 95 and told you, you'd have a telephone in your hand that could do everything but feed you. And that's coming. You'd have laughed just like you're laughing right now. You better, you better I'll tell you, we're moving fast. We're moving fast. Brother Melton reminded me this morning, Jan used to say, I'll give you the truth, no charge. Remember that? <laughs> no charge. Anyway, if, if you're going on a trip and you want to get to where you're going, you know what you do? You make plans ahead of time so that you will take the northbound exit, not the southbound exit. And so you'll get on Route 21 instead of Route 22. And so you'll avoid the, the slowdowns and the congestions and the bad neighborhoods. And, and I told my dad one time, I said, you know what I'd like to do sometimes just for the, just for the fun of it? I'd like to start at Key West on US 1 and just take US 1 all the way to Maine. And he said, well, make sure you got a life insurance policy before you do. You have any idea where US 1 goes in Philadelphia, Washington DC, uh, some of those, some of those cities? Anyway. It's, it's, not like, it's not like the good old days. So, so here's what we're saying. I don't want to take the wrong exit, so I made plans ahead of time. 
I charted my course. I checked with all the authorities. I, I didn't. I didn't see the the exit sign, and it said it said uh, uh, I ninety five. You want to go I twenty six to Columbia? Get off here. And I didn't say. Well, they're not going to tell me what to do. I know just as much about driving as they do. Do you know what our trouble is? We won't check the Holy Bible MapQuest. We won't check the Holy Bible GPS. When it tells us to turn right, we argue with it. When it tells us to turn left, we, we question it. When it tells us to t- take the detour, we say, well, I'll just plow right on through here. Nobody was telling If we were as serious about getting to a life of joy and holiness as we are getting to our vacation destination, we wouldn't fall into as much sin. Man, the planning we put into a trip is precise. The planning we put into getting from here to next Sunday is so inadequate, it's a wonder we don't all lose our way. We're just not careful enough. That Bible says God will make a way of escape. Now look, he'll put some road signs up along the way. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's somebody that said, I'm going to study the route before I take the trip. I'm going to do all the planning I can to make sure I don't take wrong turns. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.16, Who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Have you ever... I, I, this happened to me more than once. Maybe it's happened to you. If you've got one of those, one of those machines... You, you type in this address, here's where I want to go. I want to go to, to, to uh, 437 uh, North Road in, um, in Albany, New York. And, type, and, and you push the button, calculating, 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 go. And you know what you do? You just follow it. You don't call people on the phone and say, hey, I want to read this route to you and you, you tell me if you agree with this. You don't call your friends up and say, uh, uh, hey, listen, uh, uh, you just get in there and go. Man, it's too bad. It's too bad we don't take this mind of Christ and read it and just go where it says to go. Why do we have to get second opinions and third opinions and fifth opinions and 22nd opinions? And, and, and why do we argue with the Bible? Why don't we follow the directions? Now, every now and then that GPS will do things it shouldn't do. You'll end up in the back of a Home Depot in Arkansas and you thought you were going to New York. It's not always right. This Bible's always right. It's always right. It's right every time. Now, Proverbs 3 says this, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. And He shall direct thy paths. See the verse? There's a path to walk. And the Lord will tell you the right path. He'll show you the way to go. But you've got to trust Him. You've got to believe Him. That, 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 uh, that machine I got, it's not as nice as, as my, my mother was. That, that woman, she'll, she'll say, 500 feet, turn. She never says, please. She never, she's never said, I'd like you to turn. She, she's bossy. She just, just... You know what, that Bible, the Bible didn't say, would you please obey this verse? Bible doesn't say, if you'd like to, can I make a suggestion? The Bible just says, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. Why don't we trust God to direct us and to guide us? <laughs> I forget who drew it. I saw a cartoon somewhere. This car had busted through a 
guardrail and it's just flying off this cliff. And out of the car it's saying, recalculating, recalculating. <laughs> oh man. Countless times each day the path of life forks. One leads to the right, one leads to the left. The experienced travelers learn to read the options for God has placed clear directions at every one of those junctions. Isaiah 30, 21, this is the way, walk ye in it. When ye turn to the right hand and when ye turn to the left. Here's another road sign the devil put out there. Warning those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. There's a sign right there. This is the way. Don't take the upright path. Take the wild path. Don't take, don't take that little narrow road over there. You don't want to travel that narrow road. Get on this broad road you can fly. Galatians 5, 6 says, Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 1 John 1, 7, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. God has given us clear markings. Clear directions. Clear signposts. Why do we get in so much trouble? Why do we so often fall in times of temptation. I think there's a key word in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Key word. But will, with the temptation, also make a way to, what's the next word? Escape. Escape. You know the word escape, escape, that doesn't come to mind when you think of a hamburger. A good night's sleep, a comfortable pair of shoes, a a vacation. The word escape tends to be connected to a burning building or a sinking ship or a mugger with a knife or a rattlesnake. I don't believe our trouble is temptation. I don't believe our trouble is that there's sin out there. I believe our trouble is we don't view sin as something we need to escape. If we could connect escape with disobeying God, we would take the right road and not the wrong road. But I don't believe that we are yet convinced that the wages of sin is death. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee fornication. 1 Corinthians 10.14, flee from idolatry. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee also youthful lusts. 1 Timothy 6, 10 through 11, flee the love of money. If we would run from sin like we run from killers, if we would run from sin like we run from death and destruction, we could escape every single temptation. We just don't agree with God that the wrong road carries serious consequences. Those who counted the words of God to be lies and acted contrary to His truth were warned. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. Hebrews 2, 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? 
which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. Hebrews 12.25 See that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Now you notice what we had in all those verses? There was an escape. People didn't take the escape and they ended up in the place of judgment. Whether it's hell or whether it's a messed up life or whether it's heartache or whatever it might be, nobody had to be there. But they didn't take the way of escape. Everybody see that? All right, let's go to James chapter number 1. James chapter 1. James 1, verse 12. James 1, 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But, Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. When lust is conceived, to bring forth sin, and sin when it is finished, bring forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Okay. So I'm, I'm walking down the road of life, and I, I'm, I'm trying to follow the Lord, and I, I come to this fork in the road. It goes that way over there. And it, and it goes this way over here. And I, 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 I am free. I'm absolutely free. I'm at liberty to turn this way. I'm at liberty to turn that way. I'm absolutely free. On one side is an enticement. It is something that my flesh finds very appealing. It is something I want to do. It is something that I, I think would bring me a certain amount of pleasure. Or maybe it just would be better than the way I've been walking. Then I look over here. And there are some very good things about that direction. There are some things I find appealing about, about that way. Now, I can't see to the end of the, the, this road on the right, and I can't see to the end of this road on the left. I'm, I'm standing at a crossroads in my life. How can I possibly make the right choice? Well, just trust your heart. Like, when has that ever worked? Well, just follow that inner voice. Which one? Is there no instruction is there no direction? What would you do if you were traveling in a car and you came to a crossroads and you didn't know which one to take? You would consult expert opinion. The expert opinion of someone who had been to the end of both those roads and you wouldn't move until you knew which road to get on. Is there an expert opinion telling us where each road leads at these forks in our life? There is. Why would we not stop and consult the expert opinion? And I don't mean your friends. 
I mean the God of the Bible. I mean the Holy Scriptures. Why wouldn't you consult the Word of God and see where those roads lead? Somebody said, well, you use drinking all the time. I use drinking all the time because, for two reasons. One, I, I trust. It's an illustration I can use without meddling in any of your lives. I'm hoping it's one that everyone here is... Has, has, and, I, and I'll also use it because continually professing Christians are telling you there's nothing wrong with it. Okay, now look, I'm, I'm standing at a crossroads, and a family member has just died, and I'm really down in the dumps. And the Holy Spirit says, I can comfort you, and the bottle says, I can comfort you. You know, the first mile down that road, they both work. The Holy Spirit says, I can cheer your heart, and the bottle says, I can cheer your heart. Two miles down both those roads, they both work. I don't need to make a choice based upon how far I can see from where I'm standing. I need to find out where both of those roads will take me if I get on them. And the Word of God is very clear where devotion to the Holy Spirit will take me. And the Word of God is very clear where devotion to the bottle will take me. I'm going to make a choice not based upon the first two miles of the road, but on where the road ends. Well, you know, Jesus turned water into wine. That's great. Drink all the wine you want if it's made from water. Let's go down to the liquor store and say, I want what you got that came from water. Well, we have water. <laughs> No, don't you have any any water wine? What are you talking about? We got grape wine. We got muscadine wine. We got, well, we don't have watermelon wine, but you might get some at 7-Eleven. We got... <laughs> go up to Georgia in the right time of the year, you get peach wine. But you can't get water wine. That's what Jesus made. Well, what do you think? Of, I don't know what it was. But you find some, you help yourself. But I've read my Bible, and I know where the bottle took Noah. And I know where the bottle took Lot and his daughters. And I know where the bottle took the man in Proverbs. I don't want to get on that road. Now, here's here's what people think. Come on now. Here's what people think. I'll drive five miles down this road, and then I'll take the cut across and get back on the right road. There is no cut across. Lust, when it is conceived, bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, you've got to take that road to the end. Here I am. I'm in, a, I'm in a tough spot. If I tell the real truth about what's going on in my life, I'm going to get rebuked, I'm going to get corrected, I'm going to, I'm going to lose some of my pride. But repentance will get me on the right road, and I can get my joy back, and I can get my happiness back and get my victory back or I can just keep telling lies and maintain my momentary pride and and self-respect and and imagine dignity and so instead of telling the truth and get back on the right road so I get my joy back 
Well, no, it's uh, tell a lie and then tell another lie and then tell another lie and then tell another lie and find out lying don't get me back on the road I want to be on. Okay, so, so that's, that's where we are. That's where you will be on your way home tonight. That's where you will be when you get home tonight. That's where you will be when you get up in the morning. That's where you will be when you go to work or school. You will continually stand at these forks in the road. And the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Bible and the truth of the Word of God, will show you the right way to go. And the world, the flesh, and the devil will entice you with the wrong way to go. And you're going to have to make choices every single day. All day. And they just keep adding up and adding up and adding up and adding up. Okay, so that's the practical part. Do you know what the real part is, the spiritual part? You know what he said? Blessed is the man that takes the right road, refuses the wrong road. And the man that does that, that's, when we do that, we will receive a crown of life which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to them that... Look at it. Look at it. Love Him. Love Him. See, because every temptation is the same temptation. They come in different colors. They come in different shapes. They come in different sizes. But every temptation is the same temptation. Do you love the Lord? That's all it is. At the end of this road, the Lord is standing there with open arms. And at the end of this road is nothing. But the devil standing right there at that crossroads and saying, Come on, come on, come on, come on. What's he going to give you if you go that way? Nothing. He's just going to get to look over at the Lord and say, Ha, that's the guy that was singing oh how I love Jesus <laughs> that's all he wants that's all he wants the devil wants to use my lack of love to accuse me before God in hopes that Jesus Christ will lose the joy that was set before him when he went to the cross to purchase my soul that's it. You got kids? You got kids? I don't know that I'd recommend it, but if you don't, if you, if you, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. You know, you know, first John says, and I know, listen, it's about saved people, it's about church life, but, but we use it in family situations. First John, he said, I have no greater joy than that my children walk in truth. Now, when do you think he said, I have no greater joy than my children are famous? I have no greater joy than that my children are rich. I have no greater joy than that my children are healthy. No, you know why I said that? Because the child's willingness to obey their parent is a testimony to their love for their parent. And I don't want a rich child. I want a child that loves me. I don't want a famous child. I want a child that loves me. And God said, this is, come on, the Holy Spirit says, the Holy Spirit, I have no greater joy than that my children love me. 
They say no to temptation because they know it will make me happy if they do what's right. So every single temptation is Satan and Adam in the garden. Every single temptation is Satan and Christ in the wilderness. Will you fall down and worship me? Or will you keep worshiping God? Will you bow before me? Or will you bow before him? That's what it is. So, you know, the devil, he just wants me to look at those dirty pictures. That's the, that's the, that's the short term, fellas. He wants you to look at those pictures so he can say to God, he'd rather see that than your Bible. That's the objective. Now, he wants to corrupt you, but it's to get at God. That's what it is. Sister, if he can get you, if he can get you doped up, instead of full of the Holy Spirit... It's, it, it's, it's not just about messing up your life. It's so you can say to God, see, see, she don't trust you. She'd take my way every chance she got. That's what it is. It's all about love. If you love me, you keep my commandments. We know that we love him because keep, we keep his commandments. His commandments are not grievous. If we look, if instead of when we got to a temptation in our life, if instead of seeing, here's something I want to do but it's wrong, here's something I should do and it's right, if instead of seeing that we would see this way says to God, I love you, this way says to God, I'm using you. Because that's what it is. I love you, or I'm, I'm using you. That makes it a little more serious, doesn't it? All right, back to 1 Corinthians. Let's read our verse. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. There hath no allurement to do the wrong thing. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Happens to all of us all the time. But God is faithful. We'll spend a whole lesson on that in the very near future, God willing. Uh, Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. See See the ability? I have the ability to choose the sin. I have the ability to choose the right. You know, now watch this. We've got one last thing to look at, so hang in there. If we could put each temptation in Bible terms, it becomes far more manageable. Let's suppose tonight you're struggling with, uh, with an addiction to nicotine. Okay? I don't know that anybody here is. Um, If so, you're much better at covering it up than people we've had come through the years. When a guy tells me he doesn't smoke and he smells like he's been trapped in a tobacco factory for... So if you don't smoke, you must work for the fire department. Because it's all over you. Anyway, 
My, if you got nicotine addiction and you look, you say, "Oh, I just, I, I, I can't, I can't. I, I've tried, I've tried. It's just, it's got such a hold on me." You know what you're doing? You are viewing smoking as the issue. You are viewing how many years you've smoked and how many packs you smoke and how much. It's not that. Do I love the Lord? Or am I using the Lord? That's what it is. Not a temptation to smoke. It's a temptation to presume upon the grace of God and the mercy of God and just tread His blood underfoot one more time and ignore His Holy Spirit one more time and go ahead and do what I want to do and then yell out from, Sorry! No, really, sorry! Love you! Love you! Sorry! Really, no, love you! what it is. Now, let's, let's say it's smoking. Standing at this crossroads right here, right now, God is not asking you to never smoke again. He's asking you to not smoke now. He's not asking you to quit smoking for 25 years. He's asking you to not put the cigarette in your mouth right now. Well, I couldn't quit. He's not asking you to quit. He's asking you to not put a cigarette in your mouth now. You cannot put a cigarette in your mouth now. With God's help, with the indwelling Holy Spirit, right now you cannot smoke a cigarette. And then 15 minutes later, when you come to that crossroad again... You don't smoke the cigarette. And then 15 minutes later, when you come to that crossroad again, listen, maybe you can't quit four packs a day, but you can quit one now. God's not asking you, listen, these men, well, you know, I got a bad temper, and sometimes I lose my temper. God's not asking you to never lose your temper again. He's asking you to stop this time, right now. And let the Lord get a grip on you so that this time you don't blow it. Now you can do that. He's not asking you to never lose your cool again. He's asking you not lose it this time. You can do that. And we read that thing about murmuring. Sister... He's not asking you to never complain again as long as you live. He's asking you this time, instead of just blurting out another complaint, how about praise the Lord for all the good things that He's done in your life? He's not asking you to never complain again, but you cannot complain this time. See what we do? Well, you know, I, I just I could never live. I could never live that kind of life. I mean, you know, we all fall down sometimes. We're not asking you to live your whole life without sinning. Just don't commit this one. This is the only decision you have to make right now. You got to make this decision to go the right way or the wrong way. You can make that right decision. Well, you know, I really like to see you get in church there, brother. Well, you know, I don't know if I could be there every time. Well, you could be there this time. 
We're not asking you to sign a paper saying you'll never miss church the next 15 years. Just come this Sunday. Well, I don't know if I can make it. See? We excuse this sin, anticipating all those sins. And we say this act of righteousness is not possible as we view an ongoing, unbroken string of righteous acts. That's not what God's looking for. I'm driving down the road. It says exit. Well, I don't know. There's probably some turns somewhere here in America that I don't know if I can make all those turns. You don't have to make all those turns. You have to make this one. Just this one. Well, you know, if I make that turn, you think there might be a bridge out down, you know, 100 miles up the road? You think there might be some potholes 300 miles down the road? It doesn't matter. You've got to make this turn or that's never even going to come into play. So here's what God's asking you to do tonight. You got a cussing problem? Got a griping problem? Got a lying problem? Got an accusing problem? Got a bitterness problem? Got an unforgiveness problem? Got a lazy problem? <laughs> well, some people, man, it don't matter what it is. If we say sign up sheet, they're running back there to put their name on it. And other people say sign up sheet, their face just goes pale. <gasps> Do something to help somebody else. Not me. God's not asking you to serve others for the rest of your life. How about just try it once? And next opportunity, try it once. And, and you might find that it gets easier to travel that path. Just the next time a bad word comes out of your mouth, repent of it. Don't excuse it, repent of it. And then after a while, they'll get into your mouth, but they won't come out of your mouth. Then repent of that. And after a while, it'll be in your heart, but it won't get to your mouth. Then repent of that. And eventually, you'll die. (laughs) You won't have to deal with it anymore. Come on, what did he say? As long as you're alive, you're going to be tempted. We're not dealing with a lifetime of temptation. We're dealing with one at a time. 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 I'm able... Well... I have the capability of writing. We got to seventh grade and we got to choose an elective. And I went to sign up for my elective... And it said I was in a typing class. And I said to the counselor, I said, I thought we got an elective. And the counselor said, I have a note from your sixth grade teacher saying you have to take typing. (laughs) Best thing, one of the best things the Lord ever did for me. Anyway, uh, my handwriting's not the worst on earth. Two of our students have that distinction. But, uh, (laughs) but But it's up there. But here's what happened. But my, my, my mom was about five years old, four years old, I don't know, four or five, somewhere in there. She sat me down and she, she put this notebook in front of me and a pencil and she said, write a book. Don't get up from that table till you can write a book. Say, so you crazy? Yeah, yeah, she didn't do that. 
She said, let me show you how to make the letter A. And just made a string of letter A's. And the next day, a string of letter A's. And the next day, a string of of letter A's. And then then it was B's. And then it was C's. And now I can write a book. But I can write a book because I started out by writing letter A's. And God says, I want you to obey that Bible. And you look at the Bible and say, I could never obey that whole book. Well, how about one commandment one time? How about one commandment one time? How about one commandment one time? How about one... Co- and, and then it would be words. And then it would be sentences. And then it would be paragraphs. And then... See what he's asking? You can do whatever God asks you to do once. And that's all he's asking you to do. And then the next time, you can do what He asks you to do once. You can do that. And then the next time... Because there's never more than one temptation at a time. And you can escape one temptation at a time. And that's what He wants. And and we're all capable of that. Praise the Lord. And people said, oh, boy, I'll tell you, if that ever came my way, I don't know what I'd do. Well, it, it hasn't. But that has. Right. Do something about that. Deal with that. So, okay. Well, God's faithful. Amen. And He'll get us through every one of them. He'll get us out of every one of them if, if we just want it. We just want it. So, amen. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for victory in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that as, as intimidating and powerful as temptation appears to be, Lord, when we break it down and see it for what it really is, it's just one choice at a time. Help us, God, to love you enough to make the right choice.